take a deep breath Take the higher road That's what they always say As if they know the way They won't take it from me But don't ever doubt yourself Cause life ain't just a dream You make your own So kick and scream The people will like With a never ending force You never had the chance So what you waiting for The day has come my friend Cause this is war Welcome to the Thursday edition of Nurses Out Loud. There are so many facets of the impact on our society since the 2020 pandemic hit. Obviously, as nurses, we're focusing a lot on the medical impact on individuals and the population at large. But an overreaching theme of injustice seems to be weaving itself throughout every area that was impacted by this worldwide event. Just as a reminder of what justice is and how we define it, it is the ethical philosophical idea that people are to be treated impartially, fairly, properly, reasonably by the law and by arbiters of the law, and that laws are to ensure that no harm befalls another and that where harm is alleged, a remedial action is taken and both the accuser and the accused are expected to receive morally right consequences merited by their actions. Justice is also a legal structure or system that is designed to judge in a general sense who should be afforded and accorded a benefit or burden when the law is applied to a person's factual circumstances. Injustice is when the opposite of that occurs, of course, and when there is a lack of of fairness or injustice, it does disturb a civil society and an unjust act or occurrence happening instead definitely uh, results in lack of peace for those of us in a civil society. Martin Luther King's famous quote states the stage for the topic I want to bring to you today, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. We all want to live in a civil society a system that's based on the rule of law, where ordinary people need not wait for governmental leaders and institutions to identify the most critical reforms for peace, justice, development, um, human rights, and security. The people themselves need to be able to step in because civil society is diverse and has so many participants. There are many approaches that members of civil society employ to strengthen the rule of law. Civil society organizations perform important research and actions to help governments understand and respond to problems and needs on the ground. They monitor the work of courts to ensure that victims' voices are heard and the rights of all are respected. It's up to each of us to empower community members with knowledge of the law, including laws that are essential to protecting the environment, preventing corruption, and upholding human rights. The common mission of a civil society is that its members use their democratic rights, their talents, expertise, and organizing skills to solve the challenges and demand respect for the rule of law. We must ensure equal justice for all. All of us must work for equal justice. This is the role of a civil society. Today, I have with me registered nurse Gail McRae, 
she has witnessed firsthand the lies, deceptions, and fraud at her job at Kaiser Permanente Hospital in the Bay Area of California, where she had worked for six years. Gail was among the masses of nurses across the United States who were fired because of the federal vaccine mandates. Gail now works with the nonprofit WWW Stand Firm Now, and she is here to tell us about what they are doing to working with um, attorneys and criminal litigations against perpetrators and restore the justice to our society that we have all been victim of in this last three years. Welcome to Nurses Out Loud, Gail. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. Can't wait to hear about what you are doing and who you are doing it with at Stand Firm Now. Yeah, so uh, I have a really wonderful story to how I got here, and I would love to go through some of the finer points of it because I think that it's extremely important for people to move forward with a more fuller understanding of um, how much corruption we were being exposed to uh, in the hospitals and, um, and, and use that. So the key here is that I'm using those experiences that I went through to motivate me and push me forward to uh, fight for the rights of humanity, which is what I'm doing today. And I'm so pleased to be here. And that's one of the things that I really uh, love about what has happened. You know, a lot of, um, this is probably the most common question I get asked is, well, why aren't more nurses standing up and speaking out about what's going on if they're there? So I'll tell you a little bit about that. In Sonoma County, uh, I and a few other practitioners started a um, like a support group before the pandemic really got underway. And it was a support group for practitioners who, you know, didn't want to get the injections or just people who were watching what was happened and they were feeling very disturbed and traumatized by it. And so in that group, we had about 120 participants. So those were community members who would come, you know, whenever they could. We met once a week and we would talk about, you know, how we were managing things in the hospital. And a few, there were also a few teachers. It was mostly teachers, nurses, and doctors. And of those 120, uh, I was probably one of three that uh, chose to ultimately not give up my rights and uh, put my foot down to uh, refuse the injections uh, and not go along with the agenda. The rest of the participants, uh, you know, they were just going along to keep their jobs. Uh, and I'm sure some of them ended up taking the quote unquote vaccine. I, I, I like to call it a bioweapon because it's not a vaccine. It's a therapeutic. Um, and I, 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 we have evidence suggesting that it is a, in fact a bioweapon, but uh, you know, it, that really in itself, I think says a lot about why we are where we are today and how we got here. It has been my experience that the field of medicine uh, is full of people that, you know, they're too busy to do their own research um, and they they 
are discriminated against, alienated, and they get their characters assassinated uh, for stepping outside of what is expected of us. And so they go along to keep their job, to pay their mortgage, and, you know, to try to get along to take care of their families. So Mm. I start with that because I, I really want people to understand how incredible it is to not go along with that. My life has been completely and utterly transformed. And the most valuable thing in that is my spirit. And the way that I have been able to be a truer version of myself, uh, speak from my heart, um, honor the truth. That's a really important thing here is that I'm honoring truth. I'm honoring my voice and I'm acting in ethics to honor what I know to be true. And those are things that I think a lot of people don't understand what they've given up when they um, have chosen not to honor their voices. And so that's really a cornerstone of how I ended up where I am today and why I'm so happy to be here. As far as the, um, I'm curious how it's amazing to think how you came from being a nurse, just trying to speak out and say why you want to have your voice and rights to to make a bodily autonomy choice and watching the masses uh, be silent and not say the same thing for themselves. And then you turn into someone who is working with this group that we'd love to hear about. So what is, what is the purpose and mission of the group you're with now? And maybe you can segue into how that, how you got there. So stand firm now, uh, Dr. Christiane Northrup was approached by uh, one of her attorneys and he proposed a plan uh, because we have been all of us. uh, So since I was fired Uh, we have been trying to litigate in the court systems and all of our cases have been thrown out. So we have um, either had the judges threatened, bribed, or they're just corrupted. And they, they honestly think that, you know, they're doing the right thing and that, uh, you know, we are, I, I don't know, spreading misinformation. <laughs> That's the key word I keep hearing mm. from, you know, the, from the media and that that's the brainwashing part that I feel. But uh, this case is um, something that's never been done before on a mass scale. So our attorney, uh, he is a Judas doctorate, uh, but he has his, uh, his, he's not a licensed bar member and that is intentional. And, and if you think about it, you know, the medical field, you know, we're licensed practitioners. And what do our licenses do to us? They, in the case of doctors in COVID, they forced them to administer medications like remdesivir with the 53% kill rate in the clinical trials because of the protocols. And what I have learned is that there are things like that that go on in the judicial system as well. When you have that license of the bar, you know, you tend to um, practice law in the ways that benefit the system rather than than the ways that uh, necessarily protect the people. So this attorney, uh, he 
He uh, specializes in uh, private uh, litigation and trust law. And um, he does a lot of work with uh, administrative action. Uh, so that's what the premise of this is. We are filing um, expert witness testimony through an administrative process in order to set precedents, because this is the problem we keep finding in court is that we go to court, there's a judge and a jury, a defense and a plaintiff, and the defense is usually pharma who can pay enough people to come forward and, you know, get their case won and or they just bribe the judge in the first place to get the case uh, dismissed, which I have witnessed happen more than once in the last year. But um, the case how is did you come to be a person that even knew that you could um, reach out to Christina Northwork uh, that was on this. So that goes back to being fired. So I want to go into this because it's really important to understand why I'm so passionate about this, because this is a passion project. I'm not being paid. This is all pro bono. We have a nonprofit. We're not making any money. We're not, you know, this is just me standing up for my rights and my children. Ultimately, this is for my children. But um, so I had mentioned that group I started before I was fired. And the reason that we engaged in that was because of the extraordinary things. So, you know, I was working in the Bay Area. I mean, of all places in the country, if we were going to get full hospitals because of this COVID pandemic, it would have been in the Bay Area. We didn't, we were never, uh, we were never overfilled uh, during the first year of the pandemic. The hospital, actually, I was getting canceled. Uh, more often than I ever had in the first 10 years of my career. And I guess I should go back for a minute and talk about that too. So I worked as a nurse for 10 years, uh, always in the hospital setting um, at uh, two different major hospitals. And then I also spent a year uh, volunteering in Africa where I worked um, at a district hospital teaching and delivering babies. Uh, my my specialty was in uh, ICU uh, med surge telemetry. I spent most of my career in telemetry. Uh, I've done a lot of floating, float nursing. I would do a lot of fill-ins. So I spent a lot of time uh, working th throughout the whole hospital. I've had a really good sense of the flow of the hospital, the patient populations. I did work the COVID floors. Um, and it was never what the media was saying it was. I'm I, I was amazed to hear that what the nursing profession has lost is experienced nurses. A lot of experienced nurses are um, there. And a lot of the communist nurses that I've run into, they say, well, you know, there's new nurses coming out of school all the time to replace them. I'm like, well, there's a big difference between an experienced nurse and a new, new nurse. So it's a shame yeah. of the loss of this experience. Okay, go ahead. Yeah. And I don't think I'll go back. I have no interest in engaging with these people because of what I've seen. So the protocols, the remdesivir in particular, people say their loved ones died of COVID. I saw most I would say over 98% of my patients recover from COVID and then die from remdesivir. Mm. And you could tell the difference because the remdesivir, you know, it caused renal failure and pulmonary edema rather than pulmonary pneumonia. And there's a difference on the scans. You can actually see the difference between pulmonary edema and pulmonary pneumonia. 
So they were definitely going into renal failure and their lungs were filling because of remdesivir poisoning. And unfortunately, remdesivir was the only medication that our facilities were, um, were, um, were permitted to use as a hospitalized for hospitalized patients with COVID. So that's one of the things people say, Oh, but what about all the deaths? Yes, they were happening, but they weren't from COVID. <laughs> yeah. This is a point that I make sure uh, my audience knows is that if you have someone who did die in a hospital, you do need to go ahead and get their records in your possession to get all of their records. You may be surprised what you're going to find and you may be wanting to get a lawyer soon too. So go ahead. Right. Yeah. So some of the other things I think that really people need to understand. So I'd been a nurse for 10 years and I understood the flow of the hospital on a shift. On average, we would usually hear about one code blue per shift. Code blue, for those who don't know, uh, is when people uh, stop breathing and it, they call on the overcom, overhead calm, go to the patient's room, patient room, whatever it is, 251. Uh, so we would hear about one of those per shift before COVID. Uh, after the rollout of the injections, I would hear between eight and 12 per shift. And the overcom would call and say, report to the lower level vaccination clinic. Uh, they didn't specifically call it the vaccination clinic. It was like the lower level. I don't remember the specific terms, but it was absolutely clear that the injections were causing serious harm from the get-go. The other thing that happened is that I, I went from being canceled on a regular basis when the injections were rolled out. I started getting three calls a day to come to work and it did not stop until they fired me. When I went into the hospital in June of 2021, my manager approached me and he said, this hospital has had three times increase in hospital admissions three times higher rates than we've ever had since the hospital opened their doors. So say they had 2000 patients a month that they were caring for before the, the rollout of the injections. After the rollout, it went up to six and I was taking care of those patients. They were strokes, heart attacks, peripheral mm -hmm. clotting disorders, pulmonary embolisms, and new onset autoimmune disorders. Now I want to touch on this and stop for a second because there's been this thing in the last week where the CDC is just now saying there's some correlation that they're just now seeing between strokes and the injections. We saw those within two weeks of the rollout of the injections in the hospital. And my managers were threatening us as nurses, telling us that if we reported a single one of these adverse events, we would be fired. Oh my. So those signals were there from day one. They were ignored and suppressed. The practitioners were threatened. And that is why none of this has come out until now, because now there are enough of us who are not taking it anymore. <laughs> and initially it was probably silence because they successfully put you into a financial distress by firing you. So they, so by firing and removing people who were witnessing this thing, the witnesses were removed and those that stayed were apparently willing to be compliant with the silent. Absolutely. That's a tragedy of the medical system that's occurred through COVID is the removal of the ethical practitioners. And that's something that I think we're going to really be uh, having to assess over the next several years while we rebuild is and why I believe in parallel infrastructure, because we've removed the greatest, you know, they have taken 
Yes, there's something I just want to address there because I know some of you that are listening out there may be among the population that are still within the workforce and you may have stayed because in your particular situation, you did not have to, you weren't witnessing what she's maybe seen. But yes. we know that among those that have stayed, many know what's going on and are being silent. So if your conscience is getting to you, it is time to come forward and, and reach out to us at Nurses Out Loud and let's hear your stories and come out and speak. But she's definitely speaking of those that know and are remaining silent. Go ahead, Gail. That's absolutely the case. And I say this all the time, too. This is one of the things about being in the Bay Area of California. We had a 90 percent, somewhere around a 90 percent compliance rate with the injections. So, you know, it was one of those areas in most parts of the country. There wasn't that onset of like strict compliance. People didn't the whole community didn't run out and get it. So I think in most places, it would have been a lot less conspicuous to see such a sharp increase. You know, practitioners weren't seeing what I saw, which is why I'm I'm here, because I was in a unique community where, you know, those were the types of things that we were just inundated with. So um, it these kinds of experiences, there's another thing that Kaiser did that I really want people to understand the relevance of this. Our charting systems, uh, they when they rolled out with COVID and the injections, uh, they they created a, a chart where in order to document the, the vaccination status of that patient, you'd get a drop-down menu. And we would get two options for documentation. We could either document that those patients were unvaccinated or that their vaccination status was unknown. So we were creating a stockpile of fraudulent information that uh, in order to, uh, to support the media by saying that all of the hospitalized patients were unvaccinated. When in fact, in reality, that was absolutely never the case. We had vaccinated COVID positive patients from the get-go. So th this is the thing, it's like these systems, these, these organizations have been involved in fraud and scam and intentional harm since day one. Well, so what it, I was really surprised to learn myself was that an unvaccinated person was defined as anybody who has not passed two weeks past their second vaccination. So we had people being categorized as unvaccinated, which is legitimately somebody who's never had an injection in their arm but because the definition was changed to uh, it, it, until you are two weeks past your second injection, you are still considered unvaccinated. And when they do the stats, it's often put together with you are either more than two and considered vaccinated or you're in the unvaccinated category with less than two. So that is a misrepresentation of the truth as well. Yeah, I would absolutely second that in that my my firsthand experience is that a majority of the patients that I took care of in the hospital who both had COVID and who were being hospitalized for clots and strokes and such, they were most of them were within two um two weeks of their injection. So we absolutely were never getting accurate numbers of anything that was occurring on top of the fraud and scam scams that were happening. So again, uh, this, um, this action that, so all of these experience experiences, uh, put me in a place where I was, uh, beginning to engage and, uh, trying to navigate the world from a more, um, uh, 
outside of corporate structures. And uh, I met a few people and I've been very actively engaged in trying to meet folks and trying to gather momentum, trying to connect people, because I do think that um, our, uh, our, our network, you know, there's a lot of fragmentation with, with the people who are awake and aware and trying to fight back as opposed to the other side, you know, there's so much organization with those, with those groups. It's almost like, you know, they're, you know, they have a plan and they're rolling all these things out and they're just going for it. But um, that is what led us to, to, that's what led me to being introduced to Dr. Northrup. And I think that because she's the doctor and I'm the nurse, you know, we can kind of um, get to both sides of this. So our our plan is to gather expert witness testimony. Um, like I had mentioned earlier, we have an attorney. He's a constitutional common law attorney. He's going to submit this evidence uh, via a negative environment, which is a, an administrative submission of evidence. And then once that happens, that evidence will be public record. And it will it will set a platform of precedence so that every litigating attorney around the world can use this evidence. So the evidence, it consists of over 300 pieces of of either peer reviewed data, emails, you know, factual information about how all these individuals created this this pandemic scam, whatever it is. This intention in my in my uh, understanding to control people, that's really what this is. It's it's a plan to get to get us to keep us afraid and to take control of our of our lives. But uh, this platform of evidence, we're trying to use expert witness testimony because that's what we need. We need the experts. We need people whose voices can't be silenced. And that's practitioners, nurses, doctors, um, paramedics, um, scientists, researchers, um, embalmers, people, people who have been witnessing these things firsthand. And what you have to do is close to nothing because we've already done it all. So our team of doctors has, have created this affidavit. Uh, it's a six page document. I, I have found nothing in it to be difficult to understand. Uh, or agree, or there's nothing in it that I don't, I disagree with. I've seen uh, the evidence of all of the things in the affidavit. You can actually see the affidavit on our website, which is at www.standfirmnow.org. And we are in the process of getting that going to be able to um, accept digital copies, although we do need wet ink signatures for all of the evidence that we produce. And that's what's going to make it in disputable in court. When you say wet ink, you mean people signing those affidavits. We need a wet, yep, a signed copy. And uh, so that creates indisputable evidence, both the, the wet ink signature, in addition to a video of you reading that document, it takes about 10 minutes to read through it. And I will tell you what, reading that document is so empowering because it's like you're putting you're putting your energy into uh, and courage into speaking the truth. It really is. It's 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 power. You're speaking power to doing the right thing. 
And so I would encourage everyone to just go on that website and read it over. Yes. And that is um, exactly what we want to direct people to do as well. When we come back after the break, we will discuss some of the specifics of the affidavit and how you can help stand firm now, make truth known. As a reminder, you can find Nurses Out Loud weekly, Monday through Friday, 10 a.m. and 11 p.m. Eastern. All of my shows go to podcasts. Typically, a day or two after the broadcast is heard on talk radio. You can hear them on Spotify, Stitcher, Pandora, and iHeart Podcasts, and many more. Be sure you subscribe and rate the show on Apple Podcasts for me. It's time and this is We know you love the versatility and portability of the Genesis Fogger, but sometimes you just want to set it and forget it. Well, we heard you. Introducing the UX4 HOCL Atomizer. This stationary unit quietly protects you and is perfect for smaller spaces. With over a quarter million units sold in Japan, it's now available in the United States. Visit genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud to see the UX4 in action and receive a 15% discount on either Fogger with promo code OUTLOUD. With Genesis, you're ready for anything. These days, every time you turn on the news, it seems like there's a new threat to your health. Maintaining a strong immune system has never been more critical. Advanced Nutrition Company, Healthy Cell, created Immune Super Boost to help you strengthen your immunity. Unlike other supplements that don't work, Immune Super Boost is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed nutrients proven to support immunity, like vitamin C, D3, zinc, elderberry, and echinacea. These physician-formulated gels come in a small gel pack. Tear off the top and shoot it down, or mix it in water. Boost your immunity. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. Hello, I'm Ben Marble, MD, and I founded MyFreeDoctor.com as a donation-supported, faith-based nonprofit with a mission to save lives by delivering free doctor visits to patients in all 50 states of America. MyFreeDoctor.com treats a broad range of health concerns like COVID-19, long COVID, sinus infections, urinary tract infections, rashes, medication refills, and more. So please visit MyFreeDoctor.com, where we're healing America one person at a time. AmericaOutloud.com. If you can't find it here, you can't find it anywhere. We are the pulse and voice of everyday American thought, working hard to earn your trust for seven incredible years and counting. America Out Loud Talk Radio, the liberty and justice for all. Welcome back to Nurses Out Loud. We're here with Gail McRae with Stand Firm Now. As you heard in the first segment, she is a witness to malfeasance within the medical um, hospitals of Kaiser in California. 
And she was denied her right even to continue her educational process while she was pursuing her certified nurse midwifery licensure and her women's health nurse practitioner licensure. Students were not considered privileged enough to get religious exemptions, and her education was forced to be stopped unconstitutionally. And though she'd completed her degree, she only needed 700 hours of clinicals to get that license completed, but they would not allow that. So she had to seek some legal advice and began networking with people who were seeking, you know, private infrastructure out there and learning how to remove themselves from corporate jurisdiction. And in the process of that came across some brilliant people who are part of this warrior world that's out there um, doing what we can to help people recognize the unconstitutional things that have happened in this last three years and what we can do about it. So Gail, I'm going to let you pick up there. Great. Yeah. So it's, that's really been such a wonderful and mind blowing part of this experience is just being able to understand, you know, how is it that the government and these, these organizations have come through and trumped our rights, our constitutional rights. You know, we're not, we're no longer given constitutional rights. We're given benefits and privileges. We're given civil rights and liberties. And, uh, you know, people don't, that, that was to me what really led me down this path to get so deeply engaged was just realizing, you know, why is it that I don't have rights to, you know, the constitution, the way that, you know, our forefathers had set this up as, and so that's really what this document does is it reestablishes your constitutional rights. And that's what I would love to do is just go through it a little bit, because a lot of times when you ask somebody to sign affidavits, you know, it, it they might feel hesitant because it, you know, we're asking them to do something legal and it's not at all scary. So here's a few things I can tell you. First of all, we created this document to make the process easier. And uh, because of that, you can do anything you'd like with it. The version on our website is a Word document, so you can take it down and edit it and put in things and take things out, things that you may agree or disagree with. There's nothing in this that uh, we're, we're, you know, strictly bound to use. This was just something that our attorneys and doctors created to streamline the process and to cover all of our bases, because what it'll do ultimately is arm any attorney who's litigating against all of the players who caused uh, these atrocities in our in our society's hospitals, uh, families, workplaces, all of it. So I would love to just go over a few key points in the affidavit. Uh, you know, it starts with a piece of case law just establishing that, you know, we are living, breathing people. We are not corporate entities. We, you know, we are not signing away our rights we are, you know, standing here as flesh and blood. And that's important because that's one of the ways that the courts removes our rights. Uh, so the next part in the affidavit, um, we established that COVID-19, um, you know, it's identified, it, it's being identified in a lot of the literature as a brand that's not associated with a list of symptoms or disease. Uh, and, and, and then it goes into talking about how the pandemic 
the the definition pandemic was actually changed after COVID-19 started. So isn't that crazy? That's one of the exhibits in our case is how they changed the definition of both pandemic and they also changed the definition of vaccine. And so both of those have been done since 29, since after the release of, of the, um, or whatever, after the onset of COVID-19. So those are both part of this, uh, this document. Um, it goes into uh, how uh, the case, the cases were manipulated through the implementation of the PCR tests. And that was done by increasing the cycle threshold. So the PCR tests were not, first of all, they were not designed to be diagnostic tests. That's one of our pieces of evidence. And um, they were not designed to be uh, ran at cycle thresholds over 18. And the CDC actually set protocols that every lab should run the cycle threshold at 38 or higher. So automatically when you do that, the results for that test become completely inaccurate. So we falsely increased the um, the tests load in order to to create the you know perception the perception exactly that this was that this was more profound than it was. Um, so we weren't accurately counting. There was no, so here's another key part. There was no documentation of signs and symptoms along with that positive PCR test. In order to make a proper diagnosis, you need a test as well as signs and symptoms, which in this case would have been fever, cough, headache, et cetera. So that was not done. So they fraudulently increased the the signs of a pandemic by uh, disrupting the data. So that's the main premise of the first part of this affidavit. Uh, And then it goes into number 13 says uh, doctors and scientists um, who called attention to um, the alternative treatments were um, ignored, punished and censored and how uh, there were effective treatments from the beginning of uh, that were were, um, that were evaluated by scientists and doctors who were treating like Pierre Corey, uh, including specifically vitamin D, zinc, copper, quercetin, hydro, uh, hydroxychloroquine, uh, ivermectin, vitamin C, and inhaled steroids. So uh, this establishes that we did have alternative treatments and therefore then the next one it goes into, because we had alternative treatments, there was no grounds to uh, release this injection under an experimental use authorization status, because the only time legally they can do that is when there are no alternative treatments. Exactly. And because the fact is that there were, and they were intentionally being suppressed, and the people who were talking about them were having their characters assassinated, it shows clear signs of fraud and scams, just absolute. So that's the premise of this pay, this um, this part of the affidavit. Uh, and then it also goes into the fact that the survival rate was over 99%, which doesn't constitute uh, uh, an emergency use authorization. So, and then it talks about in 19, how these are not uh, vaccines. They are technically a therapeutic, specifically a gene therapy, including um, components that alter um, the, the RNA. 
I don't they, think a large part of the population realizes that there was a definition change by the CDC, that they changed the actual definition of what a vaccine is. They did. And that is a piece of the evidence that's being submitted. So that's the other neat thing about this. So this compilation of evidence in the affidavit is only one part of what we're submitting. So we're submitting the signed affidavits uh, with the video testimony, which creates indisputable proof. So a judge, when, when a judge gets that proof with the video and the signed affidavit, from an expert. So that's a key part. We are experts. We are practitioners. We have firsthand experience with these, uh, with the pandemic and the, with the results. We have the scientific education and background to be able to attest to these things. That produces indismissible evidence. And when we come in with thousands, we're talking four to 10,000 signed experts they're not going to be able to stop this evidence. Yeah. The point that you're making about um, that the people who are going to be willing to sign, who already have signed, they're also making a video of themselves reading the affidavit that they either use the one that's on the website right now, or they've specialized specific to them. And they're reading that aloud. Tell us why that's so important that the video exists. So the video is representative of you being a living, breathing person, and it can't be disputed. Uh, we can, you know, they, they, the judge could argue, oh, if we just have a signature, it could have been forged. There could have been some fraud associated with the signed affidavit. When we submit that evidence with the video testimony going along with it, you're stating in this at the beginning and the end. You, you know, I say, I, Gail Patricia McRae, I am an affiant and I am affirming uh, upon penalty of perjury that the information following is true and correct. So I'm, I'm stating, I'm using legal definitions to, um, to create unbreakable evidence. That's really what this is. Right. We're, we're not giving them a way out. And that's why this is so powerful. And, and this is what hasn't been done. Although we have a lot of experts coming forward, uh, the evidence is not getting into the courts. It's not getting accepted into the courts uh, because we're not coming in unified and it's not being presented per correctly. I believe Dr. McCullough had mentioned that uh, there have been over 16,000 doctors who have signed and submitted affidavits, but they didn't do it with a video testimony. And unfortunately, that's where their case falls out because you don't have that full circle of indisputable evidence unless you have a supporting video testimony. That is just amazing news to me that only people within the legal system probably are even aware of. So this is definitely enlightening those of us out there that are not within the legal profession. Right. So that's what gives this power. So then um, the document continues to talk about uh, the coercive policies, um, unsafe and unproven injections, how uh, they actually, uh, the safety and efficacy was never uh, established, even in the clinical trials. And that evidence continues to come out. Dr. Naomi Wolf has been exposing all of the um, evidence uh, that that the that Pfizer and Moderna tried to have suppressed for 70 years. So she's gone through that data and shown that in fact, safety and efficacy were not properly tested even in the clinical trials. 
let's see, mainstream news sources have report have refused to report the safe and effective alternatives, as well as they failed to um, document the adverse effects and the injuries and deaths. And they they continue to talk about all these sudden deaths uh, being caused by what was it? The influenza, I think I heard was the latest. Like I've been a nurse for 10 years. I've never seen influenza cause sudden deaths. And now they're heat of the summer was one and the things that are coming out are absurd. It's absolutely ridiculous. And then the affidavit ends by you saying, I, so I wrote this one in I Gail McRae, uh, living, breathing woman, affiant, being of sound mind over the age of 18, hereby state under penalty of perjury to the best of my knowledge and beliefs that the, the, the above is true and correct. Uh, and this is to provide and place evidentiary testimony into commercial record. And that's key because that's what we need to do to establish precedence. We need to get this evidence into commercial record. And once it's there, so our attorney's got this whole awesome process to do that. He's been doing this for 30 years. Um, he constantly uh, engages with the legal system in this manner through submitting evidence through administrative process. And it's a lot of attorneys, they get scared off by that. And they think, oh, you're just doing something administrative. That's not going to help us. But it will, in fact, because of the level of evidence and the fact that we're coming in with thousands of practitioners, uh, this level of evidence won't be disputed. And our attorney is going to take it from state up to federal court. And once it gets documented and accepted into the courts without dispute, uh, it will then be considered fact. And it will then become accessible to every litigating attorney around the country and ultimately around the world. They will be able to use this evidence uh, towards their own cases. So our attorney plans on beginning um, uh, tort claims, which are lawsuits. He'll file lawsuits, tort claims against uh, the entities responsible for all of these atrocities once we get the evidence recorded. So this is like, I always like to think of this as the linchpin. It's like the cornerstone foundational step in order to get to uh to criminal litigation. So yes, although we're not doing criminal litigation specifically in this filing, this is about establishing precedent. Okay. So that is so much, that's what we don't understand about the legal process. Um, watching all these brilliant doctors who speak with such authority, go before Congress and testify, you think, okay, something's going to happen now. But what I have been woken up to is that that testimony is not a courtroom. It is a congressional hearing. It is something that goes into congressional documents, but it actually, nobody, all the people who were invited to come just could just choose not to show up and not have to be accountable because there's no court making them accountable and making them have to speak to the charges laid against them. They just are no shows. So it's like, okay, where does the justice start where people actually have to attest in a courtroom setting that what I'm speaking is true. So it sounds like this is the, that step in that direction. That's exactly what this is. And that's why this is going to be so powerful. So Gail, who is this evidence and all these affidavits um, and this court case going to benefit? Yes. Yeah, so once this evidence gets accepted through this uh, administrative process, 
it will go uh, to be to the courts in order to be accessible to attorneys like Tom Renz, um, Stanford Graham, and uh, other attorneys who are litigating. And so it's all of these people who are uh, who are pressing criminal charges uh, against all of the folks involved. So Anthony Fauci, Ralph Barrett, the CDC. Uh, so it will stand as as evidence for them to use in order to win criminal litigations. So it's it has the potential to change the playing field. And that's really the intention here is to change the playing field. Instead of going in, you know, with one case, we're going to go in with thousands of experts with sworn testimonies. So it's very powerful in that way that it won't, it will, we are arming litigating attorneys. Yeah. And if everybody doesn't know this out there, there's new, uh, there's a new show on America Out Loud and it is the Tom Wren show. So yes. tune, in, tune in to him. He's ready to fight. Yeah, he is. And uh, and this evidence will just further support their cause. So this is a way that people can get involved in supporting attorneys like Tom Renz, because ultimately that's what this is. Oh, Dan Watkins is another one. He's doing a lot of awesome cases uh, it, and, and he's bringing forward evidence uh, against the perpetrators of all of these uh, these crim crimes that have been taking place over the last two years. So uh, for people who don't really know, you know, what can I do? Um, you know, they, people, I know people feel disarmed and, you know, they are not sure how to contribute. This is a great way. It's easy. We've done most of the work. Uh, you know, we're a nonprofit organization. It's a, it's, you know, there, there's three people involved in this action. Uh, we're keeping it small on purpose to protect uh, the, the sanctity of this evidence. And, you know, it's, and we have, we have a contract all set up and that is put in place also to protect the evidence. Uh, the evidence is is being held within the nonprofit organization. That's a contract. It can't be tampered or altered. Uh, it's going straight from our hands to our attorney and then into the courts. So it's actually an extremely secure way for people to get involved. Uh, there's no, there's, you know, there's literally no, even if, even if people could interfere in the, you know, say the PDF or the video, you know, they could get their hand that, you know, there's some potential that they could get their hands on it. The fact is, is that we're holding this in multiple locations and uh, they're, you know, they're not going to be able to um, make our evidence um, unsecure. And that's something that the courts are going to try and do. They're going to try and say, well, you know, how did you secure your evidence? Well, it's going straight from my hands. I'm a, you know, I'm a trustee. I'm one of the members of the nonprofit into the hands of our attorney and then straight to court. So there is no interference. There is no avenue for, um, for disrupting our evidence. And that's, uh, that's something that, that I think, you know, people don't have to worry about. You don't have to worry about, even if, even if there was some potential chance that, you know, um, there was some, some, you know, something got lost through Dropbox. It's still, we still have the hard copies. We still have the physical evidence and it won't be disrupted. And you have already experienced attempts to thwart your efforts, I'm sure. 
Yeah. And that's all the more reason that has empowered me personally to really get down to what we're doing because people don't, you know, the people who are trying to stop us, they understand the power of this action. And I think that's really important when you, when you meet resistance, I mean, isn't it like that in every experience in life? You know, you, when, when something is difficult, there's a reason, you know, those are the moments where you, you really define yourself as through, uh, through experiences that really, uh, you know, challenge you to stand up and to, you know, stand in your integrity. And I feel like that's what this, this document does in general is it just really empowers people. Every time I have somebody read it, they call me the next day or they, or they come up to me after reading it. And they they tell me, you know, that felt so good. And that's something I think is really important to realize is that, you know, it really, you're feeding your soul when you speak your truth. And that's what this document does. It gives you the opportunity to, you know, get out there and speak the truth about what we know to be true regarding uh, the COVID, you know, the last two years of this COVID experience. Right. So people are going to be able to go and find the link to this organization where you will be able to find a copy of this affidavit. Anyone can read this affidavit. And um, there's going to be specific calls to action, you know, for those who can have that have the power with with a licensure, medical licenses and nurses and things like that. We'll go into that a little bit more in a minute, but there you can read it and you're going to feel that affirming feeling that these are all the things that I have witnessed or know as an expert myself have been wrong and has been a form of injustice that has gone on in this last three years. And this is an opportunity to actually do something with what you already know to be true. Absolutely. Yeah, that's really the premise of this. And I I will go ahead and start um, with, with, you know, circling this back to what got me into this. I got into this action because I realized that standing up for what I believe in, it, it increased my spiritual vibration. I showed myself through ethics and courage that I was capable of, you know, changing my entire life because it was the right thing to do. And that's what I did. And and it's hard to do that. That was a hard decision. I gave up everything. But on the other side of that, it changed my life and I'm a better person for it. And I showed my children that too. And that's something I think is so beautiful and powerful here is that we have the opportunity to show our children what courage looks like to, um, you know, set that example of, you know, just making choices that put you on on the side of, of acting ethically and honestly and standing up for people who are being abused. And that's really a big part of this. So I that, that's something that, that I encourage everyone to just try it out. You know, and this is something that I realize um, has kind of always been a superpower of mine because I've always been so adventurous and wild in my life. But it, it stems from a lifetime of practice in doing things that are outside of, of what is, you know, what, what we're taught. Like you don't just you're not just born having courage. It's something, I mean, you might be, but it's also something that's learned. 
And when we don't get practice in expressing courage, you know, it looks scary. And we think like, oh, you know, that's a lot, like that's too much. But gosh, when you actually implement courage in your life, it's so transformative. So I'll I'll end it with this quote that Dr. Northrup said to me, because we have this conversation all the time where I, you know, because I'm constantly up against this is like, well, there's all these practitioners, they know what's going on, and they're too afraid to come forward. And she said to me, Gail, hopelessness, helplessness, and despair, they're so easy, they're comfortable. And that is what feeds the darkness. When you're hopeless, it just continues to contribute to, you know, this feeling of despair that nothing is, you know, is going to work anyway, so I might as well not do it. And that's what causes inaction. So I want to call people to really just recognize you are sovereign, you are powerful, you are, you know, worth it. And you have the potential to change the world around you, to make choices that are going to empower your children. So I really want to just end it on that, you know, encourage people, find your truth, stand in your light, be that person that you remember you were as a child before this world took it away. (laughs) I love (laughs) it. Because it's still in there. That is wonderful, Gail. So everything that Gail has brought to us today is going to be included in the show notes. You'll have links to it. You'll have links directly to her. If you want to be one of these people, you can definitely reach out directly to her website, or you can go to americaoutloud.com backslash nurses out loud, and you'll see a place on that page to send an email to me um, or any nurse here and let us know that you're interested in that. So thank you so much for being here with us today, Gail. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. And thanks for making the platform. Such a pleasure. Gail is going to be one of the speakers at the Next Steps Conference coming February 22nd through 25 at Lake Lanier Islands in Beaufort, Georgia. The theme of the conference, Shifting the Paradigm. You can find out more about the conference and all the speakers there by going to Next dash steps.info and attention specifically to nurses. There will be a nurse freedom summit there as well. So please join us and get connected and collaborate with other like-minded nurses, medical professionals go to standfirm.org, read the affidavit. And remember you can custom your own affidavit. If you understand the science within the document, consider joining the thousands of affiants who have already signed as U.S. citizens willing to speak truth to power. I will leave you with a quote from Lieutenant Colonel Teresa Long, M.D. May our children never say we were cowards in the face of evil. Subscribe to Nurses Out Loud wherever you hear our podcast and wherever you listen to podcasts. Let us hear from you and please follow us on Instagram and Twitter. We've all got to stand side by side. Join us as we drag all the lies to the tables of sacrifice. We recognize that we are in a war for the truth and we must make the truth known. It's time in this world.